0: Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast,
1: where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of CodeNewbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're currently reading Ruby Under a Microscope by Pat Shaughnessy. And we're going to finish off chapter one today, which looks at parsing. And then we're going to head into chapter two, which covers Compilation. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and
0: you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. So how did you find the reading this week?
1: It's definitely getting more challenging and I'm having to take my time more. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely denser. Having said that, I found that what's good about this book is sometimes I I scan ahead, like my eyes just scan ahead and it looks really, you know, chock-a-block and quite complicated. I'm thinking, oh gosh, what's all this? But when I take my time and read it slowly, Pat is still doing an amazing job of breaking everything down. So eventually I'm like, oh, okay, I sort of get that. And I may have to sometimes go over something a couple of times, but I think given the subject matter, Pat's doing a really great job of breaking it down. But yeah, it's definitely more challenging. What about you? Yeah,
0: when I read this book, especially this section, to me, it revealed exactly how little I know about how programming languages work. Uh, Because, you know, later on in this reading, we do things like, you know, in Ruby 1.8, it used to work like this. And then in 1.9 and 2.0, now it works like this. And it made me think, oh, wow, it didn't even occur to me that... There were different ways that it would work. And I mean, I guess I knew that because I, you know, I've heard people talk about it, but I never really paid attention to it. And so, you know, comparing how Ruby works with how Java works, it just really exposed my unfamiliarity with how programming languages on what programming languages need and you know how they compile and how they work. Uh, so beyond just learning more about Ruby specifically, it was really interesting to kind of dig deeper into to what to me feels like more of the computer science-y world that I don't really spend a lot of time in.
1: Yeah, 100%. There are so many different components. In fact, reading it, I found myself in awe of people who write programming languages. Yeah. <laughs> when we get into dealing with the abstract syntax tree and all that stuff and how it you know compiles that code so it's something that the computer can understand, all of that, it's just like, wow, it's amazing what like all the thought that must go into it when you're designing a language. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: there are definitely a lot of things to think about. So shall we start with, what are we on? Experiment 1-2, using Ripper to parse different Ruby scripts? Indeed. Mm -hmm. So last week we talked about how we use the Ripper tool to display the tokens from our Ruby code. And this week, we're going to use Ripper to take that a step further and actually create an AST, which stands for an Abstract Syntax Tree. And so this is basically when Ruby parses your code, we match the grammar rule, we convert the token, and when we convert those tokens, we're creating a more complex internal data structure called the Abstract Syntax Tree. And that is really crucial in us being able to run our Ruby code. So as an example, let's look at figure 1-31, which is the portion of the AST corresponding to puts n. So if we take a statement like puts n, and we take it through Ripper, and by the way, I just want to point out, we are um, we are creating output generated by Ripper.sxp, exp, sxp, s expression. Is that what, mm-hmm. is that what it's for That's, what I, that's okay. what I was reading as. Yes. Okay. Uh, generated by Ripper.sxp, expression, which I think is much better uh, when it's pronounced sex p. So the ripper <laughs> <laughs> the ripper uh. sex p uh, gener- <laughs> uh, hello, I'm 12. Um, generates this awesome syntax tree and it looks like this. So when we have puts n, that starts off at the very top of our tree with something called command. And then that creates two branches. On the left branch we have identifier puts. And then on the right branch, we have args add block, and the child of that is var ref, and the child of that is identifier n. Mm -hmm. And this tree, this is like the visual representation of the output that we get, and I'm not going to read the output, but basically it's a lot of arrays and symbols that basically map out to that tree that we described. Okay, so at this point, we talk about how... Let me scroll to the right part. Okay, yeah. So it talks about how now your reprogram is beginning to make sense to Ruby. Instead of a simple stream of tokens, which can mean anything, Ruby now has a detailed description of what you meant when you wrote puts n. So there are two things that I found confusing about this. One Mm -hmm. is the fact that I don't see how this necessarily makes more sense. It feels like that's supposed to be obvious. I'm not sure what it is. I guess like the fact that it's a tree means that there's an order that there wasn't before.
1: Is that the part that makes it make more sense? So I think there's more, I don't know whether the word is sem- sem- semantic or contextual information. Mm-hmm. That means that the Ruby code knows like Ruby is starting to know exactly what you wanted to do as opposed to... So before it had all the bits and... So the way I see it is before it had all the bits and pieces like, oh, we have this thing called an identifier. Oh, we had this thing called an argument. Oh, we had this thing called a, I don't know, a variable. I'm not sure what the right thing is. And now it's like here how they are all pieced together. That's how I see it. So... You see what I mean? Yeah. So what is happening with the sexp
0: file is instead of it just translating each each piece and having like a random list of things that don't have any relationship to each other the fact that it's in a tree and there's branches and there's like parents and children like that structure gives more meaning to the individual tokens yeah
1: i think it's more like I, i almost see it and maybe i'm wrong so someone correct me if so as um a list it's like you've been given you, you had a jigsaw pieces and now you've been given like instructions of how to construct the thing and how to do the processing.
0: Okay. So then my second thing that I found a little confusing is before, you know, last week we had this whole conversation on how we were going through each thing and making it into tokens. And when, and this might just be, you know, Pat simplifying things to just make it easier. But what kind of threw me off a little bit is it almost sounds like we're starting over because we're starting with puts n as if we didn't do the whole tokenization step or anything Mm. so is is that just i can't tell if that's just him simplifying things just so we we can focus on the um on the tree or if the sexp file if it's doing the tokenizing and the tree structure all in one step um so for, for example in those uh in the the little pieces that we saw like the command um i don't even know what what is it even Is that a token at that point, like that command thing? Yeah, I think it's a token. Okay, yeah. So is it is it making
1: it into a token and also arranging it all in one step? Yes. So I think he said he says earlier on. Actually, the tokenization and parsing happens at the same time. They're happening at the same time, but for simple for for but for simplicity's sake, he's going to um, explore them separately. Okay. And I think the reason why we're seeing do and puts in is because it'd be quite confusing to be looking at tokenized stuff and then looking at abstract syntax right. trees, whereas if we can just see the code, we can see how it maps. So I think it's all like a big simplification Got and it. all this stuff's so, happening in one go.
0: Yeah. And now that you said, I'm, I'm remembering it as well. So last week was the simplified version. This is closer to how it actually works.
1: Yes. Okay. I mean, it's still yeah it's still it's, simple it's yeah stage, but <laughs> but it's, no, it's still simple yeah it's still simple but it's not that the last time wasn't close i think they're both simplifications of two things that are happening at the same time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay which All is the tokenization right. and the passing yeah that makes sense because remember it's like it re- it's reading your ruby code three times right 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 this is like the second of the three times mm-hmm. i think i believe yeah
0: yeah that sounds right Okay, so if we look at a slightly more, uh, a bigger sample of Ruby code on figure 133, uh, for this, we are looking at the full thing that says 10 times do n puts an end. So here at the very, very top of our tree, we're starting with the token program. Then the child of that is method add block. And then next below that we have call, and then call has three branches. One is integer 10, the second is period, and the third is identifier times. So as we talked about last week, I believe we're starting with program because this is a whole new brand brand of code. There's a whole new piece of code and we're starting from, you know, just, just from scratch. are starting at the very, very top. And so we always want to start with program. And then we have the method add block, which means that we are calling a method, but it has a block parameter The 10 times do. And then the call tree node represents the actual method call of 10.times. And then under call we have the three pieces which map directly to what the actual method call is, which is the 10, the dot and then the times.
1: So I felt like it's funny when I was looking at these AST diagrams, there were for each diagram there were parts of it that seemed a bit more obscure and the parts of it that seemed really simple, almost so simple in a way that I didn't get it if that makes sense. So it seemed weird that it was like call and then it had a 10, a period, and then times on separate branches because in a way they seem like they should be linked or on the same sort of chain, if that makes sense. But I understand that it's calling each of those things. But yeah, no, it 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 was interesting looking at these.
0: What I think is really interesting with this example is the distinction between like method add block and then call. Because they're both, you know, related to this idea that we're calling a method, but they're they're still broken out into two different nodes, which I think is interesting. So to clarify this a little bit further, we dig into a simpler example, which is what happens if we pass the Ruby expression 2 plus 2 to Ripper and how does it parse that? And is it fair to say it's parsing it?
1: Yes. Ripper is a parser.
0: Okay. Okay. Thank you and see how it is parsing that. So on listing one 21, we would have require ripper, require pp, code equals shovel str, and then we have two plus two, and then we're ending the string, so we're ending with str, and then we're doing puts code, and then we're calling ppripper.sexp, passing in the code argument. That's right. So uh, if we look <laughs> at the output of that Ripper file for 2 plus 2, we get the, a very kind of uh, awkward-looking um, array with the, like a nested array. So we have program, we have binary, we have int 2 We have a bunch of stuff that I'm not going to read through because it's not going to make sense. Uh, but if we look at the AST visualization of that output, we start with program, node which we always start with and then below that we have binary and then binary has three branches we have integer two and then we have plus and then we have integer two so that might seem pretty straightforward Um, let's see what happens when we add another element to it so if we do the same thing but instead of doing 2 plus 2 we have 2 plus 2 times 3 we get a slightly different looking tree so we start with program again Then underneath that, we have binary. Then that binary has the three branches. The first branch is integer two, which is the same as in the previous example. Then we have the node plus, which is the same as the previous example. But the third node is different. The third node is actually uh, something called binary. And that binary has its own three branches, which includes an integer two, a multiply node, and an integer three. And so what is interesting about this is the fact that Ruby is smart enough to realize that multiplication is, has a higher precedence than addition, and that the fact that it's in this tree form really captures the order of operations in a way that last week when we were just going through and just making everything into tokens, it didn't really capture that order and that structure and that relationship. And so here, the fact that we have a binary tree um, within a binary tree shows us how all these pieces are related.
1: Yes, and so and so it says here in the summary of the chapter that, you know, first your Ruby program is converted into a series of tokens, and then we use the L-A-L-R or Lola parser to convert the tokens into a data structure called the abstract syntax tree. So it's sort of similar to what I said in terms of you've got this flat stream of tokens, and then... You're now, it's now into a data structure, which has way more information about how you're meant to combine those tokens and process those tokens. And I know it again here, he says first and then next, but I'm pretty sure he did say that this stuff happens is basically happening at the same time. But for simplification purposes, we assume what happens after the other. And so those are the first two of the three read-throughs that Ruby does of our code. And so when we move on to chapter two now, we're going to look at the third format, which is when the ASTs get converted into a series of bytecode instructions. Yep. So chapter two, compilation. At this point, I mean, you know, we're given a very, like, question that we just know the answer is like no it's like now that ruby has tokenized and parsed your code is it ready to run it will it finally get to work and iterate through the block 10 times in my simple ten times do example and it's like you know the answer it's like no (laughs) we know this is too easy (laughs) Mm. i know so no well now we're on to compilation and it's funny because in this chapter we're going to look at versions of Ruby, you know, there's some history involved. We're going to find out a bit more about how 1.8 works, how 1.9 works, and before we get into version two. Um, But we start with a simple definition of compilation. So the word compile means to translate your code from one programming language to another. And at this point, it was like, oh, yes, Ruby is written in C. Mm -hmm. And, And also it made me think like what is i remember thinking wait what is ruby being converted to um and the point here is that when you compile a c program for example the compiler is translating the c code to machine language. So this is language that your computer's hardware understands. And when you're looking at something like Java, um, the compiler is translating the Java code to something called Java bytecode, which is a language that the the Java virtual machine understands. And that's what runs your Java code. And so with Ruby, um, what happens is we're translating our Ruby code into a language that Ruby's virtual machine understands. But and this is what we mean when we talk about Ruby being dynamic. Unlike in C or Java, there's this like compilation um, state where you know the compilations happening, but with Ruby, it's running automatically, so we never know. And this is basically what we mean when we say Ruby's dynamic. Because I remember for ages, I'd always be like, you know, coming off bootcamp, oh yeah, Ruby's dynamic, it's dynamic. What does that actually mean? Um, but yeah, so essentially it's this, the compi- the compilation's happening, but it's just happening in the background. Yes. We don't know what's going on. So. Uh, We have a little bit of a history lesson and that's that with Ruby 1.8, there was no compiler. So as soon as tokenizing and parsing is finished, then we go straight from the AST to the uh, machine language. So there's no bytecode instruction step. There's no compilation. There's no translation of code. So so essentially the Ruby core team for Ruby 1.8 was writing the code that interpreted the AST notes. And then we get onto Ruby 1.9 and 2, and that's where a compiler is introduced. And so, this is when we get to the AST stage. Your code now needs to be translated to these bytecode instructions that we're going to find out more about later before um, the code can be introduced by the uh, Ruby virtual machine. And so, with Ruby 1.9, this is when Kochi, Sasada, and the rest of the Ruby core team introduced YARV, which is stands for Yet Another Ruby Virtual Machine. And so this is where, as I said, the Ruby code is first compiled into bytecode. And bytecode is a series of low-level instructions that the virtual machine understands.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we have this really helpful diagram that sort of is very basic, but it just steps through each of the stages. So you start with... Um, the first four blocks, which is all in the realm of code that we write. And so that's you start with your Ruby, and then you get to the tokenization. So you've got a series of tokens. Then they're put in a data structure and you've got your abstract syntax tree and the AST nodes. And then um you've got to the bit where you've got the YAV instructions, so that's the bytecode instructions. And then you enter the realm of the code that the Ruby core team writes. And this is where those bytecode instructions are interpreted by the uh, Ruby core team's code. And it's translated to C and ultimately machine language so that your program can be run.
0: So this might be a simple question, but up until, okay, so like you said, we have the four stages of the code that we write, the Ruby, tokens, AST nodes, Jarv instructions. When we are going from Ruby to tokens, tokens to AST nodes, AST nodes to Jarv instructions, is each of those, or, or is each of those steps called parsing, and then the leap from instructions to C is called interpreting?
1: My understanding is that when you go from Ruby to tokens, it's tokenization. When you go from tokens to AST nodes, it's parsing. And when you go from AST nodes to YARV instructions, it's compiling.
0: What makes it interpreting? Like, is it is it simply that we're going to a more like low level? Um, output like is that the thing that makes it interpreting versus you know a different verb
1: so the thing that's interpreting is is so the code that the ruby core team's written in c that code interprets your code when it's in either um when it's in the bytecode instruction stage so it's just him saying this is a bit where your code is read and understood by the ruby c code
0: Right. So so I guess it, it's like, okay, so the thing that makes it tokenization is the fact that we're turning it into tokens, right? And the thing that makes it a parser is the fact that we're building like this tree, right? Yes. And the thing that makes it compiling is that we are turning it into um, bytecode. Yes. So is the thing that makes it interpreting specifically the fact that we're turning it into C code or is it something else? I guess the question
1: is like, what does it mean To interpret. So, looking at the book, I'm just going to read what it says in the book. The dotted line between the two code sections indicates that Ruby interprets your code. The Ruby C code, so this is the code written by the Ruby core team, the lower section reads and executes your code, the top section. It's basically reading your code as we read 10 dot times but it wouldn't understand 10 dot times it would be like a foreign language to it so now it can understand the bytecode instructions and just get the computer to do what it needs to do
0: so so okay so based on that it sounds like interpreting isn't so much about what the output is it's the fact that you're going from reading to executing
1: yes this is what i understand is that yeah. fair
0: okay that makes sense okay cool that was super helpful thanks nadia Glad I could be of service. (laughs) Okay, so the big reason why um, we created the YARV instruction step before going into interpreting is because that actually speeds things up. Which to me was really interesting because I would think that adding yet another translation step would take time, because it's like, oh, we have to translate it to yet another thing before we could actually start running the code. Um, but it actually ends up running a lot faster. And I, I almost wish there were some numbers around like what it means to run faster in this context. Um, but basically, Ruby 1.9 and 2.0 run a lot faster than Ruby 1.8 because of that yarv instructions step that we hit before we go about actually executing the code um, and interpreting it to C. So next week, we're going to talk about how Ruby actually compiles a simple script and we'll go through a specific example so you can see what that looks like uh, and how that all works, which I'm super excited about. So this week, uh, the reading for me was, hmm. I think I'm going to say the reading was a six for me. Mm. Yeah, I think think I'm going to give it a six. I'm sorry, I'm going to give it a six because I felt like, I think that if I already knew how programming languages generally work and operate in their different pieces, I think it would have been a lot easier. But I think given that I don't have that context and that background, I think I could have used a little bit more explicit help. Uh, And I definitely think a lot of this would have been much harder for me to appreciate without having you uh, and you know, being able to discuss it and break it down with you. Aww. So, yeah, so as far as reading, I'm, I'm gonna give this one a six. It was a little, a little dense, and I would have appreciated just a little bit
1: more explicit uh, explanations for this one. What about you? Yeah, I was on a six too. Oh, interesting. So, I was hovering between a six and mm-hmm. a seven, but the thing that made me go with the six was the fact that I had to reread uh, sections two or three times to really get it and some of the stuff I still wasn't sure on and it's not like a huge fault on Pat in terms of um the fact that I had to read it multiple times As a lot is of, of that is on me um but um yeah it was it was a lot more dense and in fact you know Pat did a really good job of clarifying some of that stuff but yeah this was a more challenging reading I still love this book by the way I still love this book but yeah I agree with you
0: so we want to know what did you think of the reading this week tweet us your score at ruby book club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project see you next week cheerio